Hello and welcome back to Imagine Akasha. I'm Tom Fry. And I'm Nancy Valling. And this is our first episode of the summer after taking a little bit of a hiatus for the whole COVID-19 thing. And we have a guest today who is incredible. She's a hybrid professional who also researches hybrid professional identity. She calls herself a creative disruptor because she blends her artistic, researcher, educator, and designer identities to lead and create innovative strategies. And uh, she's got her PhD from the University of Denver. Dr. Sarah Beth Burke, welcome to Imagine Akasha. Hi, this is awesome to be here. I'm so glad. Well, we're glad to have you for sure. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you said you're a researcher of professional identity. What does that mean actually? Yeah, it means I'm not a career coach. Start with that. I believe that work involves these three parts and typically we only talk about passion and purpose. What are you good at? What does the world need? What are your skills? But the third piece is your identity. What do you call yourself? Who are you? So that's what I started investigating because I had my own professional identity crisis. I didn't know who I was and I thought other people had figured it out. So I became kind of obsessed with researching this idea which led me into discovering people can be hybrids. So that's a little bit about my background there. So you are a hybrid. I think I am. I think a lot of people are. I think a are. lot of people are. Yeah. You're a hybrid, Nan. I'm a hybrid. You know, I, th- I think this is such a wonderful podcast to bring to the masses right now because we are at our biggest unemployment level since the Great Depression. Yeah, it's insane. And it keeps growing. <laughs> Um, what would you give as advice for all the people out there really stressed out about getting back in looking for a job? You know, there's, you know, I'm looking for a day job and there's 257 people that have applied for this one tiny little job. And then I kind of don't even want to bother because, you know, your application, your resume just gets thrown in there. Yeah, this is a really critical moment, right, for all of the people that are unemployed and are going through job transition. Because the way I see it, everything is going through transition. Work is being done differently. Even work is hybridizing. Events are hybridizing. Learning is. So everything is going through this transformation, which means whatever work identity you used to have cannot be the identity you have moving forward. So this is the moment to reevaluate and reimagine What do you call yourself? Who do you want to be next? So my advice in this moment, given the current situation, is to really reflect on your primary professional identities. Those are the ones that are core to you. They light you up the most. You have to do almost every day because that really makes you you. You probably have more than three or four identities, and I call those your non-primary. They're secondary. But first, it's getting clear on your primary ones. Because then you start to look at how they intersect and overlap, and that's your hybridity, which then helps you see yourself and discover a new title so that you stand out from the crowd. I think people need to find what makes them unique so you don't sound like all the generic job titles that are what everyone else is using trying to apply for the same position and there's hundreds of applicants. So this is a moment of personal branding and I think hybridity is your secret sauce. If you can figure out who you are in the intersections of your other work identities, you can use that as leverage, as an asset to get new work. 
Let me just uh, make up a, a story here. Let's just say that I came to you or I was seeking your advice. And let's just say that I had a landscaping company. And I was a person who did everything from mowing lawns to also making nice little garden things with fountains and maybe, you know. Lit. So that was my thing. Would you come to me and say, well, obviously, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a landscape designer. Or, you know, that's what I consider myself, a landscape designer. Now, would you just say, that? well, what's the most important part of that thing to you is making things grow and look beautiful so that is kind of what I want to focus on is that kind of what we're talking about here yeah it's even bigger than that I would say well how many other landscape designers are out there that you know of and what makes you different why am I going to go with you versus the 200 other names I find online that is your differentiator is your hybridity if you can say well I am a um like I'm a singing landscaper. Yeah, I'm, I'm a musical, creative, marketing landscape designer. And I'd go, well, I don't know what that means. Suddenly you gave me more information, but it doesn't fit together. When you sort of discover how to rename um, that, that then becomes your tool to stand out across all the other people with the same job title. So for me, I've been a director. I've run programs. I've been a manager. Those are really standard titles. I've worked in education and early childhood. But what sets me apart? And so I discovered that my core identities are being an artist and an educator, a designer, and a researcher. Those are the ones I'm always using. And when I look at who I am, when I bring those together, I'm the creative disruptor. I'm challenging ideas. I'm pushing the status quo. I'm building systems. And that became a new way for me to walk into the world. So when I apply for jobs, I actually present myself as a hybrid professional and I call myself a creative disruptor, but then I still have to connect it back to the role and what they're looking for and show them why who I am is a value add for what they need that no one else can bring. And that sort of suddenly like makes me stand out. It really helps. Sure, absolutely. You want to talk a little bit about your book? Yeah. I know your book talks a lot about hybrid professionals, and uh, you want to talk a little bit about, uh, is, is it already out? Is, it I see is. a copy of it yeah. right there. I brought a copy with me. So it just launched in April. There's a book and a workbook. So the book is called More Than My Title, The Power of Hybrid Professionals in a Workforce of Experts and Generalists. And pretty much the premise here is that you don't have to be either or. Everyone's like, am I an expert in something, but I'm a generalist? Like, how can I tell people that I'm like somewhere in the middle. That's what a hybrid is. You're a combination. Mm. But we didn't have that term, so no, no one knew they could be. So the book, more than my title, helps reveal and explain who hybrid professionals are. But the question I get all the time is, well, how do I put this into practice? What are the tools to help me learn my hybridity? And that's what the workbook does. So the workbook is um, five different steps to move you through finding your hybridity and really examining. It's a lot of self-reflection to do kind of what we were talking about a moment ago, like what are the different parts of yourself and how do they fit together? Wow. And where can they find this book? It's on Amazon. Yay. So you can order a copy online, more than my title. So Jeff Bezos gets his cut. Uh, doesn't he get a cut of everything these days? I think he gets a cut of everything that happens in the world at this point. <laughs> NASA. For his yeah. NASA. And, 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 and how much, how much, how much is the book? And the workbook? Uh, the book is nineteen ninety seven, and the workbook is fourteen ninety seven. And there's a digital version of the workbook on my personal website, morethanmytitle.com. Oh, wow. Morethanmytitle.com. And the other exciting news is I just released an online course because I've had mm. so many one-on-one -on -one conversations, and really it helps to be guided. So I did videos of me going through every step and making it feel like a personal experience. So 
if you go to morethanmytitle.com, you can also access the online course. Now, when you're doing this, uh, since uh, is there someone with you or you, is it just you alone on camera doing this? It, or, or are you coaching someone and they're watching you how your process works? It's actually a little bit of both. So most of the video is me delivering information as if I was sitting with you just on the camera. But then I have a few videos that are bonus and it's me coaching someone else watching it in action with Monique actually. And so I broke it down into how she was having these revelations about her own hybridity. Nice. Very cool. What are your top three tips to improve your personal brand? Yeah, well, I think personal brand is owning who you are. I think one of the things I realized in this journey is that I can create my own job title and my own identity. Usually I thought it was just assigned to me, like whatever job I had and the title they gave me, that's who I was. And then I would lose that job or I would change jobs. And honestly, I think there's research that shows losing a job is as detrimental on your self-esteem and confidence as like losing a relationship or a loved one, any kind of financial crisis. So it's, it's devastating to your self-esteem. So when you lose that job title, that can really make people feel like insecure and unsure of themselves. And the power of this work is you create your own. So I'm a creative disruptor, whether I'm working with other organizations or on my own because I own that. And as I change and grow in my skills and my knowledge, that title can evolve. I can call myself something else next year because I'm growing as a human being. So I'd say one of the first things is you own your title. One of the second ones is get really clear. So many people are a list of identities. Like I'll sit down and they'll start telling me, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. (laughs) And it's just overwhelming. So get tight on the two or three, I'd say four is the upper limit of what are those core identities you want to be known for. And then the last part I think about in personal branding is the relationships between your identities. So if I list to you that I'm an artist and an educator and a researcher, that doesn't matter until I tell you how they fit together. So if you can clarify that and then own it as your brand, that really is what I think most of this work is about. I was reading a little thing in your book, and you mentioned something about career elevator pitch, and I thought that was an interesting... uh, Did you make up that, or is that something that's... uh, What is a career elevator pitch? Well, yeah. I think how many of us go out networking, and the first question you guys, what do you do? What do you do? And I mean, I'm guilty of it, but honestly, I really don't like that question. It makes me nervous. I feel like every time my answer is not actually what I wanted to say. And so I've worked a lot with startups and, you know, have done business development. And it's this whole idea of what's your pitch. You have to tell it in 10 or 30 seconds, get it across. And I thought, well, what is my personal, like, identity pitch? So I created a hybrid identity elevator pitch. And um, there's a handout of this in the workbook and on my website. And it's a Mad Lib, and it has three parts. And the first part is just introducing yourself and saying you're a hybrid professional and adding your hybrid title if you have one. The second part is listing those primary identities so that you start to kind of unpack what your hybridity is. And the last part is just a sentence, maybe two at the max, that explains the relationship. Why do those identities matter? What, how do they fit together? And I can deliver that in about 10 seconds, and people just really light up. You can see that it helps people have a better conversation and be more intrigued, and it gets the ball rolling faster when I do it. I always hear the one entrepreneur, and then you you know find out she like you know drives for Uber. You know, it's like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, really? Like, well, I drive for Uber, but what I really want to do is you know be a psychic or whatever you know they want to do. So. Yeah. 
And that, so that's the bigger framework I haven't mentioned is this notion that there's three types of professional identity. And first of all, there's singularity. So that means you can just be one thing for work or one thing in the, in the workforce. And that's typically experts and specialists. But then you've got this whole bucket of multiplicity. And so that's people that do a lot of things. I'm an Uber driver and I'm a musician and I do landscaping and this. So they have a lot of work identities, but those identities don't fit together. Like no. you don't understand the intersection. Right. And the third type of professional that we just haven't really realized is hybrids. And those are people that have multiple identities, but are integrating them. And that's totally different than the other types. Right. So in other words, while they're driving you in the Uber, they have a bonsai in the front. And they're trimming <laughs> yeah. the bonsai. And then they're singing to you one of their new songs. And it's like, that is your hybrid, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's ridiculous. But I'm saying if that was, uh-huh. that's kind of like a, a, a silly example, but that's kind of. They're, they're, you're onto something. Onto something. Yeah, I, I give an example. I notice my hybridity shows up in meetings. So I don't just run a meeting. I actually have people do role plays and put on different personas of like the users we're trying to reach. And no one else, I, I've never seen anyone else do that in a meeting before. That's my hybridity designer and like educator and researcher coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, how long has this book been in the works? That's a great question. So actually, this started to manifest when I was in grad school, working on my doctorate and having this breakdown of I'm a student again, I feel ashamed, I don't want my former title of being a teacher because I was locked in a box, and I don't know who I am. And so I actually started my dissertation research on identity and looking at career, and that was about five or six years ago. And the dissertation felt like there was more to it. I knew that idea needed a bigger life. I just didn't know where or how. And I also had to validate and build confidence that I was onto something because I thought hybridity was cool to me. I didn't know if other people liked it. And it really caught momentum in the last year. I was doing some speaking just with um, different organizations through work and mentioned I'm a hybrid and more people started asking me about it. And then I put pen to paper I don't know, about eight months ago, because I felt ready, like the ideas were there. So it probably took about six years to bring it all together. And uh, on the flip side, are employers, you know, using this information, do you know, you know, to look for more of a hybrid professional? It's great. I think right now the bulk of the demand is coming from people that are job seekers, And I'm starting to talk to more employers and recruiters and hiring managers. And I think this book is a series. I think this first one is really targeted at people that are just trying to understand themselves and their identity. But there's a chapter in the book that is for managers and people that are hiring hybrids because you need a different strategy. You need to ask different questions. You need to recruit and retain them differently. So I think in the future, there could definitely be a second book about what does it mean for an organization or the employer side. It's great. And I know you are a very spiritual person. Is there anything infused in in all of this knowledge that would be kind of a spiritual woo-woo yeah. attitude in, in the book? Yeah. yeah, I mean, to be honest, who you are in your intersections is self-actualization. I've thought a lot about this, that when you're bringing all your parts together, you are fully realizing yourself. And I think... A lot of this book has been more of an intuitive journey of just sensing and feeling like actually there's something bigger happening as opposed to my other hat of just being academic and about theory. 
And I'm, I really like that you just asked me about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really cool. I was looking at some of your education, and uh, you went to the Rhode Island School of Design, which is where then the Talking Heads go there. I know there's a famous rock band. That, I think you're right. I think, I think they all went there. And you also went to the, uh, the uh, School of the Art Institute in Chicago. So, I mean, there's some real creativity in those two places. You yeah. must have been. And, and now you're more, working more in the business world dealing with companies. I mean, being able to utilize what you learned in your other educational paths must be really helpful as well. I, yeah, I mean, I don't fit in a box. No. And I always tried to put myself in a box. And that's why my career path has been so disjointed and nonlinear. And I literally thought there was something wrong with me. And then lo and behold, the more people I've talked to, this is the norm. So many people were like, oh, yeah, I used to be a ski instructor, but now I'm doing like operations. And now I've just designed my own product. It's like, how did all that happen? So I think... I had to finally feel it was okay to be my really creative artistic self and marry that with this entrepreneurial mind and bring that into education and this and that and be okay with it. It was like my own permission had to happen. And that's when I realized hybridity is okay. What, what was your medium for art? Were you a, a, a designer or were you a, a, a you know, paper, a, you know, pa- painter? What, what exactly were your... I mean, in truest expression, I'm a mixed media artist. I dabble in everything. I almost got my MFA in book and paper arts because wow. I wanted to make the paper handmade, bind it myself, do the letterpress, do the photography, do the writing, do the graphic design. Like, I am a hybrid even in my art making. Wow. So it just is, it's me. That is so, cool. so then you've probably had this book burning and churning for more than six years. You know, I do think there's roots of all of our career paths that come back into our childhood and our youth and who were you then and you've kind of lost sight of that. It's still with us. And I do think kind of crossing between these lines of being academic and analytical and creative and exploratory has been my nature and now I'm kind of coming back to reconciling that yeah do you think this is your new way to be creative taking the human and getting them into knowing themselves a lot better so that they can be more of a value to a company than just hanging out waiting for work to come that you said that so beautifully Nancy I Definitely. Actually, a new tagline I've been playing with is that I demystify human experiences. I really am curious about why people do what they do and helping humans develop. And I didn't know that about myself. That's like the new way I'm emerging in my hybridity. Very exciting. Do you have any um, talks coming up? And when would that be? Yeah. So the West Slope Startup Week is happening virtually this year. And that is July 7th is when I'm doing a workshop. Um, you can check my website because I add events on that as well. I think Denver Startup Week, I'm hoping to make it in again in September, and that should be virtual. So, yeah, there's always new opportunities where I show up and get to share this, and I love and, and it. Is your website the, the title of your book, or is that so, – so it's just morethanmytitle.com? You nailed it. So that's that can, they can find out everything about you. They can find out about your workshops. They can find out about the book. They can f- do some online tutorials and stuff like that that you said are free up there as well. And you also mentioned to me about maybe doing a uh, an audio book at some point. Yeah, I definitely think more people are listening. Like podcasts are blowing up. Yay! Yay. Um, so I want to record the book into an audio version. Well, you have a nice voice. Oh, thank you. I mean, normally I would offer my services because that's what I do for a living. I'm you have a, a voice great act- voice. Thank you. I'm a voice actor. But one of the things that I never do is, is, is books on tape or audio books because, you know, you read a book and it ends up, you have like, you know, 
eight hours of recording and then you got to go back and edit it down and it's like you spend all this time doing this and it ends up like you know i only got paid 500 bucks it's like i could make that doing a 30 second commercial i'd rather do that it's because i'm lazy and you have a low or low attention and and i'm adhd so it'd be you know it's like war and peace tom we want you to read war and peace and have it on tape by the end of you know september it's like good luck buddy (laughs) 1500 pages sure i'll I'll tackle that tomorrow Glad I don't so, have to read it. Yeah, me too. My so, mom read it in high school. War and Peace. I had never read War and Peace. Tolstoy. Leo. Yeah. Did you read it? No. <laughs> Cliff's notes. How do you know who wrote it? Le- Leo Tolstoy? Are you kidding? I, I don't like think I've most, read anything of his. Well, he's Russian, so it's all been translated into English. So you probably never read any of his original works, but... Have you? No, so but I know he's you, Russian, and I know my know? mom read the book because and it's supposedly you, that the longest book. It's 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 one of those books that's like it's very difficult. My mom read it in high school, and they say yeah. it's it's one of the most difficult books to read because it's not like it's not Judy Bloom, you know, it's not super fudge. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I read that one either. Oh come but. on, we all read super fudge. <laughs> you know, a hard book for me to read was the the J.R. Tolkien's. Oh, Lord, but I had to read that like ten times because all the names. So I would lose the names. I get confused too when I hear people talk about like uh, like Game of Thrones and they say yeah. you know Daenerys and all these names because when you're re- when you're seeing yeah. it on TV you know you can kind of say okay well that's Daenerys I see what she looks like or, or that's so and so but when you're reading it you have all these names and they're not easy names like Joe and Bob and you know it's and like it's King of the Hill and the Troll well, of, of the, the hill. King of the Hill. <laughs> God damn it, boy. <laughs> Well, not King of the Hill, but you know, I'm just right. making stuff up. <laughs> yeah, those names, those fair fantasy lands got really. King strange. of the North. King of the North. Although I do think J.R. Tolkien was toting the line between You're missing this an R. life. J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> that second R is very important. <laughs> He'll probably be okay. You know, those Middle Earth people that probably have transverse parallel universes. I think he probably is one of those. Yeah, no, he's very interesting. And Led Zeppelin, I'm a fan of Led Zeppelin. Uh, Robert Plant was a huge fan of J.R.R. Tolkien, and, and there's a lot of uh, mysticism and stuff in some of his songs where he actually makes reference to that. So, yeah. mm, Very cool. You just need another initial in your name, and you'll be set. That could be part of your identity. Nancy SS, <laughs> like I'm going down with the ship. Oh, my gosh. This is all hybridity to me. I'm like, keep going. That's funny. So how have you been during the the whole COVID thing? How have I been? Mm -hmm. I think I've been trying to find my grounding. It's been just that period of like, what's up, what's down? And it's been really introspective. I think it's been good to just chill. Um, I like this idea of there's no FOMO anymore. There's nothing to miss out on. And we're all in the same boat. And if you get dressed today, that's great. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. So that's been nice to just be myself, whatever it's kind of been a, I think it's been a reset for a lot of yeah. people, too. And I, and I think it has been. Because like you said, I, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But you, you feel like you're missing something. You know, oh, there's a, there's a concert. There's a game. There's this. There's that. But it's like we're all in the same boat. None of us are going to concerts. None of us are going to games. None of us are going to see movies. We're all we're all. Watching the same shows on Netflix and Prime and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, it's like we're all kind of in this together. And I, I don't know, I kind of liked it a little bit. I kind of liked it. But you love to be in the house. Well, I'm, I'm a homebody, and I have a yeah. great house, and I have two cats, and I work from home. So I mean, I think it was easier for yeah. me, except for my health club not going to my club and working out. But I think for the most part, I mean, it's, it was not a big stretch. Where someone who's real social, who goes out to dinner, you know, three or four nights a week. 
and has a big social calendar and maybe, you know, works full time outside their home, that would be difficult to just sit at home and do nothing for for months. Yeah, I think watching everyone's experience has been part of the interesting part of how people are dealing with it. People that have never spent time alone or people that have too many family members at home and what's happening. Right. Yeah, a lot of relationships have have kind of been shaken up too um, through this, the the whole being stuck in the house. But I also think but creativity has happened. I know a lot of people who have you know written and started writing maybe a book that they've been wanting to write or they've been doing art that they've never done before. I did a whole tarot deck. Just came back from the printer. Oh, it looks incredible. (laughs) How many cards are there? There's 72. Actually, there's five less than 72. I made five blank ones because I'm going to start playing with them before I write my book that goes along with it. And I have those five... You know, I didn't want to like close it up without some opportunity to expand. have to expand. Right. And I think having some blank ones actually is kind of cool. I like that. Kind of like a wild card, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gave us a respite from all the daily grind to kind of step back and say, like, what what is life? Like, just take a time out. That was kind of cool. That was cool. So what is your lesson coming out of this, Tom? Oh, I got I to gotta stop drinking so much. Um, <laughs> Well, that just started mean, because of COVID. That's what I mean. I mean, I've been like, literally, it's like, it's, 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 it's not out of control, but I mean, when there's nothing else to do, it's kind of like, if, normally, you know, maybe you have a couple of drinks with a friend at a bar or something like that for happy hour, but now it's like, it's four o'clock. Well, I might as well crack one open. Next thing you know, you've, you know, four or five into your six pack. So, um, is, so that's your lesson out of the whole thing <laughs> is to cut back? No, I, which I, you can do. I, no, I, 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 I think that, uh, health is is come is come to the forefront a little bit because i think that you realize when you're when you don't have a place to work out and it's, it's hard for me to get motivated myself and just go on a bike ride i want to sit in a spin class and have mm-hmm. someone saying okay five more minutes you know so I, I i think that i realize that it's you know how important health is and i think that that's one of the big things i've carried away and also it's it's good to have some savings and to have some stuff put aside i think that's very important yeah. because there a lot of people don't have that and when they're faced with a situation where their work stops abruptly. Mm-hmm. Do you have enough money to get by a couple of months? And I'd say most people say no. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's eye opening. What about for you? Have, oh, for me, um, you know, I've really like learned a lot about myself, and I want to make sure that I keep myself as important as as I have become um, in everything that I do. I'm a overworker. Um, Sometimes I get lost in relationships, um, and I, I've come to realize all of that. And then I'd like to work smarter and not harder is what I have realized. Mm-hmm. And this whole Zoom thing, I'm really enjoying doing readings uh, on the phone or, or on Zoom where I didn't have to get dressed, <laughs> and I didn't have to clean my home. You know, there's a spot in my home that's always, you know, presentable so um you know that to me is working smarter and not harder and you know i i think that that's my big takeaway to keep me important how about you sarah beth what have you learned i think i've been too hard on myself i think i push myself way too much and i was over committed and 
I was the girl that would, you know, work out in the morning and then like have a full day of back-to-back meetings and then go to a networking event and a happy hour and then come back home and walk my dog and then get back on email and maybe go to bed at 11. And that was my cycle and I didn't know how to break it. And COVID just stopped everything in its tracks. And I think first, I've just been so surprised how tired I've been. Like, I've still been sleeping, and I think my body's just recovering from all of that. That, and I think the collective energy is exhausted. I think we are all, all of our stress individually is going somewhere up, like in a cloud, and then raining back down on us. So. I think it's not just you that is tired. I think we probably all are tired. I think we all need a vacation. I mean, really. I mean, it's <laughs> even though we've been, you know, maybe haven't even been working as much. I mean, even people who are working from home, certainly you're, you're slacking a little bit when you're working from home. Um, but I think we all just need a vacation after all of this. Just time to decompress mm-hmm. and, you know, be out in nature and be away from you know, where we are now. I mean, I, I just want to get on a plane and like, go to Europe and just kind of like right. walk around on some streets and see some you know, art and different things like that. I mean, I'm just sounds like, amazing. <laughs> I know, me too. But you can't get on a plane over there yet. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I actually grew up in the Western Slope in a little town called Basalt, Colorado. I've heard of Basalt. Um, sure. It's pretty cute. It's near Aspen. But then after high school, I moved all around the country. I was finding myself and going to different grad schools and changing jobs, and then I came back to Denver. Good for you. And and when you since since you've been here, I guess you are a member of the Denver County Cultural Council. Yeah. What's that? So Denver is part of a few counties in the region that make up the Science and Cultural Facilities District. And we're actually a model in the nation. So that means that uh, like one-tenth of one percent of taxpayer money is collected and then is redistributed back to a lot of nonprofits. So like the zoo, the Denver Art Museum, the Museum of Nature and Science, like those are the big ones. But there's three tiers. And I'm in tier three, which is the little itty bitty nonprofits, like little choirs and dance groups and little museums and galleries. And so I sit on a council that's um, appointed by the mayor. There's 11 of us. And we look at that uh, taxpayer money and distribute it through a grant making process. So I get to review these. It's a six year commitment and kind of watch the changes in our landscape of what's what's going on in nonprofits in, in Denver. That's very cool. That I is no really one. cool. I didn't know that. And the thing that bothers me most about what she just said is one-tenth of 1% one of taxes are going to this. And you think about when government, you know, cuts like PBS and they, and, and they, and they, do, they cut cultural and art things. It's like it's such a small little slice of the pie. And when you think about like our military budget and you think about our budget like that, and they're, they're really worried about they're taking an endowment for the arts away and stuff like that. You know, one-tenth of 1% one of our taxes are going to things that are like and so important as yeah. art and culture and yeah. stuff. Oh it's my crazy. God. We gave out $2.3 million. I just finished the grant cycle like two weeks ago. And that was across 87 different organizations. So like the smallest grant be might have been. 10 times that much. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, it's definitely my civic duty. And I learn a lot about how our systems work, how government works. And we, so this was interesting just because racial injustice is so big right now. The Buffalo Bill Museum was a hot topic for the council because people didn't want to fund them because Buffalo Bill committed genocide across all the Native Americans. And it it felt very relevant that why should they get funding if they're not bringing in the Native voices and telling the true history? So we had a big debate on the council and we decided to fund them at like 60 percent of their request, which means they didn't get zero, but it was a pretty big slap. 
And what happens now is our decisions go in front of city council, and this will now become a statement in front of them where they'll realize they need to look at their historic um, landmarks and designations because the city runs Buffalo Bill, the um, museum, and that will make them reflect on how are they being more inclusive and equitable and relevant in today's age. So there's a ripple effect of this work. My great-grandfather was friends with Buffalo Bill. No way. Yeah, and he, very interesting, he used to come to Colorado once a year for the stock show because he owned, um, well, he owned canning factories and he owned some other stuff, but I think that he came here to get some, some I don't know if it was for, for animals to be mm. used or whatever but he would he would stay downtown at the what's the really nice hotel the, one? the brown palace the brown palace he would stay there and then he would always meet up with buffalo bill and they would like sit on his porch and talk stories and stuff wow little do we know that you know looking at it now it's like he knew buffalo bill yeah the, you know genocide mother and I was like, <laughs> i know yeah watch out <laughs> hope my grandpa wasn't involved in any of the bad stuff he did i don't know i've been up there like hundreds of times too i remember to being yes did As a p- child, we would if we were passing on I seventy yeah, there, we would pull over. We would go there probably at least once a year. I mean, it is such a different world, and only in like three months, yeah, we have changed and become more aware. Yeah, I think people are waking up in ways where, when everything else gets quiet, finally the most important issues of our day and age can be seen. You know. And 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 the little things that before maybe you took for for granted. I mean, I know that sometimes Nancy and I, we go on walks together because she's kind of like my COVID buddy because we we were doing our podcast and doing and hanging out like before this all started. So it's like, well, she's like the only person that I know for sure, you know, because I know everyone she's been in contact with. So we go on walks and stuff like that. It's like people are so much more friendly now, and they yeah. appreciate a conversation and, and the saying hi. And they're people desperate. Are, <laughs> people are working in their gardens, and they're realizing the little teeny things like a plant, how much that can make them happy. Because, you know, when you, yeah. you really, when you don't have everything that you are used to having in life, you know, suddenly these, these little things have, have more significance. D- speaking of plants, did you see the Barcelona um, opera did a whole opera to a house of plants? That they are going to take now and give to um, the the hospital, the big hospital that had the most deaths. Wow. But they did a whole opera to plants, which I think is really amazingly cool. Um, you know, plants actually the plants absorb. plants were the audience. Yeah, the plants were the audience. Wow. That's really cool. It that's is very cool. cool. I mean, that's how I think everything is really changing and people are really waking up that you know it's not just us that have a consciousness plants do too and and also though you also are seeing the the and i don't want to get political but you are seeing you know the people who are so you know anti wearing the mask anti-covid think that it's you know don't believe in science those people are becoming much more obvious because when you walk down the street they're the ones not wearing the mask or they're the ones who you know what i'm saying before you didn't know it's like well you know i don't really know what your political or your or your social beliefs are but when you see someone you know walk into a store and they're the only one not wearing the mask it's kind of like okay well i know what this guy's all about you know Although kind of I like to take a walk without a mask. Well, I don't too. mean necessarily that, but I mean like in a store. You know what I'm like I walked into a grocery store and I see this guy not wearing a mask, and it's yeah. like, well, I almost guarantee he's a trumper. You know, it's like he's well. the only one not wearing one. <laughs> this is our society right now. Right. Yeah. No. Questioning everything. Questioning everything. Yeah, and everyone. But I, I have always been a firm believer you should question. You know, you yeah. shouldn't oh, just yeah. take. No, no, of course. You shouldn't you should just question. take being um herded into 
the kennel. No, my, and dad's, do you shit? my dad's an infectious disease doctor, and he knows what this 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 disease yeah. is. And you know, and I know that he's not just trying to get me to wear a mask because he's he's pissed at me. You know, I mean, he's he knows that that's going to you know reduce the spread of it. So I mean, I don't know. Or at least you touching your face too. That's how yeah. I've thought about that mask the me whole too. time. Oh yeah, touching your face. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been really fun, Sarah Beth. I'm so glad I got to share this with you today. I think hybrids are sort of this unseen, unspoken movement, and I want to make it big and broad and help everyone find their hybridity. Become a household word and household. Absolutely. Like, can you imagine applying for a job? And they're like, what kind of hybrid are you? Like, that would just change the game. And how can they find you again one more time? Morethanmytitle.com has all the good stuff. That's my website. Morethanmytitle, T-I-T-L-E morethanmytitle.com and I think that's a wrap it is thanks thank again you. thank you so much Sarah Beth I, I really love you it. I love you both thank you thank you bye bye